Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here. It's good to see you guys. Welcome. My name is Stacy. If you are visiting with us and um, maybe you don't know who I am, my name's Stacy McLean. My husband, Chris, and I have been calling Crosstown home now for almost two decades. Pastor Paul is enjoying some much needed rest and relaxation with his family in Florida. And so he's asked that I would come and um, share with you guys this morning about some things that God's been teaching me. And so I'm excited to be here and to share with you this morning. But um, I would be remiss to not mention something before we get started. Um, any of you guys are college football fans? Yesterday was kickoff, it was game day for college football. Come on, we got any college football fans in here? Okay, okay, I, I know what the problem is. If you're a Clemson fan, we broke some records that we did not wanna break yesterday. Stop gloating. Oh no, Dave, you're, you're actually cheering for being a Clemson fan, aren't you, Derek? <laughs> I thought you were gloating because Clemson was breaking records that we didn't wanna break. But hey, listen, in my family, it's the year of hope and we're hoping for a better season. Um, we're hoping it'll get better from here. If you're a Carolina fan, congrats to you. What a way to open the season last night. So it was um, college football kickoff. And those of you who are NFL fans, I hear a rumor that it's kicking off this week. So, um, yep, there you go, Ted. He's, he's ready for it Thursday night. Ladies, Thursday night, we actually have soaking prayer here at church. So, um, some of our ladies are not happy about that, but we are having it seven o'clock Thursday night, even though it's kickoff season for NFL. But speaking of kickoff season, we've got small group kickoff next Sunday. So it is small group season at Crosstown. What does that mean that it is 3L small group season at Crosstown? Well, what that means is for the next 12 weeks, we are gonna really be focusing on small groups and getting plugged in. We call them 3L small groups because they fulfill the mission of Crosstown, which is becoming a learner, a lover, and a leader in your relationship with Christ and the world around you. And we believe that one of the best ways to fulfill that mission is to get plugged in to small groups. So we wanna encourage you. Next Sunday is kickoff. So what does that mean for you? That means that come a few minutes early or stay a few minutes late because all of our small groups will be set up. All of the leaders will be here next Sunday. They'll have tables of information. You can already go ahead now and go to our app, our website, or pick up a small group directory at guest services and find out what kind of small groups we offer. We offer everything from a workout group. Sorry, men, that's a ladies only group, but we've got a workout group for women. We've got Bible studies. We've got marriage groups. We've got just about any kind of group meeting different times, different places, but we encourage you to come and be a part of small group kickoff. If you can commit to the season of football and giving up a few hours on a Saturday or a Sunday to watch your team, we want you to commit to a season for 12 weeks or so of giving up a week, an hour every week or every other week to really get plugged into a small group. So so we hope that you will be a part of that. So we just finished up a series called Live the Do, and we were talking over the last couple of months about the blessings of God and how God's blessings come to us and that they come through relationship with Jesus Christ. And over the last couple of months, we looked at different scriptures and what the Bible tells us about living in the do, in those blessings of God. And then last week, Pastor Paul wrapped up that series by bringing our attention to the fact that we have choices to make. I think we kind of all knew that, but it was really last week was like a warning message to us. Hey, remember, 
As we're finishing this series and we're bringing it to a close, remember, you need to be on guard against sin. He read to us that passage out of James about how sin, when it gives birth, leads to death and that we have choices to make. And I think for a lot of us, it was a really good warning of, hey, you need to be on guard against sin in your life. And I think that's important and I think we do need to do that. But something that the Lord has been showing me over the last couple of months is that there are other things other than sin that I need to be on guard about. Because if you've been coming to church a long time or you've grown up in the church like I have, you probably recognize sin pretty quickly. I mean, you know when you're lying, when you're cheating, when you're stealing, when you got drunk. I mean, it's not like you're shocked by that. You kind of know those things. But there are other areas that we're gonna look at today about being on guard in other areas that we need to be alert about. And so when we, um, Pastor Paul and I were talking about what I was gonna share today, I was telling him, you know, this is something God's been sharing with me because it made me think about one of my favorite verses. And if you know me, then you've probably heard me quote this verse. But the truth is I only quote half the verse because frankly, the other half of the verse makes me nervous, uncomfortable, and I'm not really happy about it. But the first, the second half of the verse I love, and if you've been around me, you've heard me say things or quote this verse by saying, I came that you may have life and life abundantly. It's in John 10, 10, and Jesus is speaking. And he says that I have, I have come so that you may have life and life abundantly. But listen to what the entire verse says, John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you see the difference in that verse? Jesus is warning them, listen, there is a thief and he is coming to steal, to kill and to destroy. He is real and we need to be on guard against areas in our life where he can try to exploit us. Jesus is saying, but don't worry, I have come so that you may have life and life abundantly. He is reminding us that he is the good shepherd. In that section of John 10, he's reminding us that he is the good shepherd and that he has the power of life. So I want us to understand this. The enemy, the devil, Satan, he is not God's enemy. He's not. God is victorious and God has all power and authority and it's not like he's in some battle with Satan. Guess what? Satan is our enemy. He is our enemy. We need the power of God in our life to be on guard, to stand against the attacks of the enemy. So don't be confused. We used to sing a song and it said, God has no rival, God has no equal. Satan is not equal. It's not this yin and yang of good and bad. No, we serve an all powerful God who can do anything and has victory. But right now in this world, we have an enemy and we need to be on guard. And so that's kind of what we're gonna be talking about today. And it's funny when I was thinking about that, I have a neighbor who sells insurance. And so we were just in a conversation and I was saying, so you know, how's the insurance business going? And he said, you would be surprised. The biggest policies that they are selling right now is social engineering insurance. Have you guys heard about this? I was like, social engineering, what's social engineering? And he said that the greatest threat that any company is facing right now is cyber attacks. And so I think we're kind of like, oh yeah, we know cyber attacks, but social engineering is this new form of cyber attacks where malicious actors, malicious pretenders, 
people with malice who are trying to pretend to be something they're not and access confidential personal information. That's social engineering. And so companies are having to buy social engineering insurance. It's like if someone sends you a text, in the last 24 hours, I've had about five text messages that said, Stacy, you and Dan Smith have won. All you have to do is click on this link right here, or your package is coming. You just have to click on this link. That's social engineering. It's someone who's pretending to be something else with malice to try and give me trying to get me to compromise confidential information. And then this idea of malware is something that we see on our computers all the time. And it's basically malicious software. It is software that is written with the intent to bring malice, to kill, to steal, and to destroy in our lives and on our computer systems and have access to everything. And so when I started thinking about that, I was like, man, that kind of sounds like the enemy. He is out with a malicious intent, pretending to be something that he is not, pretending that he is something that he can do that he cannot do. And so we need to be on guard in the same way that the thief was coming to try and steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy that's trying to do that, and he's looking for opportune times in which he can do that. He's looking for opportunities. So the enemy is an opportunistic kind of person. He is watching, and he is waiting for an opportune time. So today, we're gonna be talking about how to be on guard against those opportune times. Because if we are not on guard, they may just sweep us off our feet. And if you don't believe me, listen to what we're told in Luke chapter four. So in Luke chapter four, it is where um, we see the temptation of Christ. Jesus has been baptized and he's led out into the wilderness for 40 days. He is fatigued and famished in the wilderness because he has not eaten anything for 40 days. And guess what? The devil comes and he tries to tempt him. But as we know, Jesus does not give, he doesn't give in to that because he uses the word of God to stand against that temptation. But listen to what happens in Luke 4, 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You see, Satan knew, okay, this isn't an opportune time. All right, I'm just gonna depart, but I'll be back when there's an opportune time. And he is doing the same thing with us in the same way that malware and social engineering is out to exploit weaknesses, exploit areas of our computer software system. We have a real enemy who's trying to exploit us. He's trying to pretend to be something that he is not so that we give out confidential information. And so today we're gonna just take a look at how to guard against these opportune times because according to 1 Peter, he is like a roaring lion, waiting, seeking, looking to devour us. So we need to be on guard against these opportune times. So I've basically narrowed it down to four opportune times. And we're just going to call them the F words. So when your mama said, watch out for the F words, she wasn't kidding. We need to watch out for the F words, okay? These are the four areas where they are not necessarily sin, but they're opportunities for us to be attacked and we need to be on guard. So those opportune times are when we're fatigued, when we're famished, when we're frantic, or we have experienced failures in our lives. And so over the next 30 minutes or so, we're just gonna take a look at each of those areas and how we can be on guard against them. The first one is fatigue. 
Anybody just tired? You're just worn out? You are so mentally and physically exhausted that all you wanna do is sleep? Yeah. If you don't have mental strain, if you have not experienced mental fatigue in the last two years, then I think that you just probably haven't turned on a TV or talked to anybody anywhere because there's this real thing called a pandemic and it is putting mental fatigue on all of us. There is economic instability, there is terrorism, there are wars and rumors of wars, there are hurricanes that are wreaking havoc, there is real, real things that are happening in our world that are making us fatigued to the point where we are so exhausted, we just wanna sleep. And you know what scripture says over and over again? Wake up, sleeper. Get out of your slumber. Stop sleeping. And some of us have given in to fatigue because we just don't know what else to do. And if you are there, I wanna give you hope today because this is not an indictment. This is an area for us to be aware that there is opportunity for someone to come against us. And so in this, we all are struggling with these ideas of being fatigued. And I think for some of us, we're, we're just simply fatigued because we work too much. I mean, that's a real simple practical fact. Some of us just work too much. I typically don't fall in that category. I'm just saying, I know the Lord actually was like, hey, you need to work a little bit more. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm just saying, but some of us really, we're just workaholics. And you know what? Honestly, I wanna give you just a break today on that. That's because we live in a culture that esteems that. Our culture, the American society esteems work harder, earn more money, buy the bigger house, buy the nicer car, go on the greater vacations, because on social media, then you can tell everyone how wonderful your life is, right? But some of us simply work too much. Some of us are fatigued because we don't know how to establish rhythms of rest in our life. We don't know what it means to really rest. And we need to learn how to establish a real rest. I don't mean like watch Netflix, chill out and eat a carton of ice cream or drink a glass of wine. That's not what real rest is, but we've been numbed into believing that that is rest. No, you know what that is? An opportune time for the enemy to attack you. That is not real rest. What is God telling us in his word about real rest? Well, it's hard for us. It's a complicated subject actually, but he tells us in his word that we need to honor the Sabbath. We need to keep the Sabbath holy. And listen, I could spend hours talking about the Sabbath, except I don't fully understand it myself because it's a word we don't use. When's the last time you used the word Sabbath with someone other than in the walls of a church, right? So what does it mean? If I tell you, okay, the way that you guard against fatigue is you Sabbath. Well, what does that mean? Do I have to do it on Sunday? Am I Sabbathing right now? What, how do I Sabbath? What does that look like? Can I do work on the Sabbath? Am I not allowed to do work on the Sabbath? Let me boil it down to you for what Sabbath is. Rest in God through surrender. That's what Sabbath is. Listen to what God actually tells us in Ezekiel 20 about why he established Sabbaths. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Why do we have Sabbath? so that we can rest in God and stop striving and understand it is God alone that works through us to sanctify us. That just means to make us more like Christ. It is not us doing it. This morning when I got up and I was ready, you know, I'm getting up early and I knew 
that I was coming to share, the weeks where I'm preparing to speak on a Sunday morning, I have fallen into an opportune time of trying to do it on my own. I put all these rules on myself. You have to go to bed every night at this time. You have to get up every morning that week at this time. You can't eat this food. You can't drink this. You can't watch this on TV. And earlier this week, I was talking to God and I was like, hey, can I do this? And he just was like, you wanna be a Pharisee and put all those rules on yourself? Go ahead, that's not what I'm asking of you. How about be completely helpless in you and 100% confident that you can rest in me? He said, I will show up and I will be there and I will speak. I just need you to rest in me to do it. So for some of us, we need to learn how to Sabbath. And if you don't know how to do that, pray and ask God, God, show me what you mean for me to Sabbath. Sabbath, if you feel fatigued, if you feel worn out, this is a good thing. If you're frustrated with everything around you, chances are you're feeling fatigued and you probably need to learn how to rest in God alone. So I wanna encourage you, the best way that we can guard against being fatigued is learning how to rest in God, learning how to surrender to God. And so if you don't know exactly what that looks like, begin asking him. Find somebody else that you think might know. Talk to them about it. But that is one of the ways that we can guard against fatigue because the enemy wants nothing more than us staying busy. He wants us to busy ourselves, whether it's busy ourselves with church work or busy ourselves with doing other things or busy ourselves with spending hours upon hours at our offices. And I understand fatigue is real and I understand that we have to go to work and we have to do these things. But ultimately at the end of the day, it is God working in and through us. And so we have to learn how to rest in him. So that's how you can be on guard against that idea of being fatigued. The next F word we're gonna look at today is famished. And I think some of us are simply starving. We are spiritually famished. We are so hungry. I mean, some of you right now are feeling a little hangry. Anybody feeling hangry in here right now? If not, give me another 15 minutes and you won't hear anything I said because you're gonna be so hangry. All you're gonna be like is, girl, wrap it up. I am hungry. And it becomes a focus of ours. I think some of us are simply spiritually famished right now. It's gotten to the point though, we've been hungry for so long that we have forgotten it and the hunger pains have gone and we're just filling ourselves on things that do not satisfy us. Have you ever had popcorn? Popcorn's so good, isn't it? I mean, salty and crunchy and buttery, but guess what? Some of us are popcorn hungry. You can eat popcorn all day long, but it will not satisfy you. It will not satisfy you. And some of us are feeding ourselves on emptiness that will never satisfy us. We are trying to do this or this or this to get ahead to satisfy ourselves because we're so hungry. We don't even know what we're hungry for. Well, what I am encouraging today is be on guard in those moments when you see that your soul is spiritually famished, that you need to be focusing on God's word and in community with God's people because God promises us in his word that he will feed us and he will satisfy us. I used to think for a long time that we were not gonna eat in heaven. I'm just gonna tell you, I don't believe that anymore. I believe that we are going to have a feast in heaven. I believe we are gonna eat the best food in heaven and drink the best 
of anything that we want in heaven. I believe that God is gonna feed us. He has too many illustrations in his word about it. I mean, like Ricky was saying earlier, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says he's gonna prepare a table for us in front of our enemies. Listen to what else he says about feeding us. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Psalm 22, 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. You hear what that says? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of us are popcorn hungry and we are feeding on things that will not satisfy us. Begin right now asking God, God, change my desires, change what I want. I am hungry for the next news story. I'm hungry for the next disaster. I'm feeding on the conflict. I'm feeding on the chaos. Stop doing that and begin asking, God, put in my heart a desire for your righteousness because he says you will be satisfied when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means God's way above any political party, above any governmental system, that God of the universe has a way that is right. And the only way we understand that is by getting to know him, by seeing who he is. And then he says, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. When you seek him, when you seek him, are you truly seeking the God of the universe? Are you seeking the God of creation? Are you hungering for him? Are you hungering for something that's gonna line up with your idea of what you think about God? See, I think for a lot of us, we've been feeding on ideologies, our idea of God. We all have an idea of God and you can talk to anybody around you and they have an idea of God. But guess what? Only God can reveal who God is. And the main way he does that is through his written word and through his people. And so I wanna encourage you, if you are feeling like you're just famished and you've been feeding on an idea of God, stop focusing on ideas about God and get into his word so you can see the theology of who he is in his word, that he is good, he loves us, and he will satisfy us with every good thing. And so a lot of us have just forgotten what that's like. I mean, we just haven't had it in so long. When the pandemic hit and we all went in our homes and we isolated from one another, some of us have been just stuck in that trap of isolation and separation. We see this in nature. Who, what's the prey that's easiest picked off? It's the prey that's on the fringe. When, you're, when animals are running in herds together, those animals that are on the fringe, they're the ones that get picked off first. So if you've been living on the fringe and maybe you come, you know, once a month to church on Sunday, you know, you read your Bible maybe once a week, I just wanna encourage you, again, this is not an indictment. This is an area where you can be on guard, where you can be aware, where you can be alert that, oh yeah, that's an opportune time. The enemy's gonna attack me in that. And so, you know, in scripture, we're warned about this. In Hebrews 10, it says, do not fall into the habit that some have fallen into where they stop meeting together. And again, we are entering into small group season here at Crosstown. And we don't do that just for us on staff to have something to do. We promote small groups at Crosstown because we know and we believe that when you get with the people of God and you study the word of God, you are encouraged and you are able to spur one another on. For too often, for too long now, we have been just speaking 
chaos and frenzy and disaster. And we need to be with other people who have their eyes focused on God, who are looking towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, so that we can learn what it's like to speak life and encouragement to one another. So I just wanna encourage you, really, really consider committing to this season of small groups. Don't let this pass you by. I know, it might require you to get outside of your comfort zone. It might require you to meet with other people, but I believe that the God of creation will meet you there and he will satisfy your hungry soul. He will give you good things. So I encourage you to be a part of that. The next F word we need to stand on guard again against is this word frantic. And frantic really means wild or distraught with fear, anxiety, or other emotion. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's any other way to describe our current culture than a frantic frenzy. There are so many emotions. There is so much anxiety and fear all around us that we are frantic and there is a frantic frenzy around us. And even if you personally aren't falling into it, you know you see it everywhere and you're constantly having to fight against it. It is an opportune time for the enemy to come at us because there is a frantic frenzy of chaos around us. And what it does is it gives us fear and it takes away our joy and our laughter. I mean, honestly, when is the last time you just really had a good, deep laugh. It happened to me the other day. I have the privilege and joy of being a mom to a teenage boy. And so I get to carpool a bunch of teenagers back and forth to high school. And it's about a 45 minute drive with teenagers in my car. And um, I don't do silence well, so we're gonna talk in my car. And uh, they don't wanna talk to me though. So I decided when I drive on Fridays, we're gonna have fun Friday music and they get to pick whatever music they wanna listen to. And so I started singing, they started singing, and for about 30 minutes in the car, I had the best laugh. It was so fun. There was a lightheartedness. And you know what happened? I realized, oh, man, I can't tell you the last time I did that because I had been caught up in this frantic fear of everything that's going on in the political climate, in the terrorism, in the hurricanes, in the economic instability, in the disease, in the death around me, that I had not slowed that moment down just to seek joy. Because the enemy has realized it's an opportune time to steal my joy. And listen, if I am an ambassador for Christ and I'm telling people you need to come to church, but I'm walking around like this, you should really come to church on Sunday, you should check us out. Nobody wants to be a part of that train. I don't want to be a part of that train. So we need to get back to the joy. We need to be spreading joy and laughter and speaking life to each other, not talking about chaos, not talking about all the bad things that are going on in the world, because we can put our eyes on Jesus and we can look to the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And I, I want to be cautious in this because some of us have real fears. They're real things that we're afraid of. They're not make-believe, it's not irrational. There are things that we are really afraid of. And I wanna share a story with you out of one of the gospels, it's out of Mark. And the disciples were afraid in this story. But I want you to hear how Jesus responds to them and what happens in this story because there was a real threat before them. And some of us are facing real threats. But look to this story for hope. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. 
and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. So Jesus said to them, come on, let's go to the other side. So they did. And the other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. He was in the stern, that means Jesus, asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, be still, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey them? You see, Jesus promised them, come on, let's get in the boat. We're going over to the other side. Jesus made a promise to them. We're going to the other side. Jesus has made a promise to us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never turn his back on us. But some of us are sitting in the boat going, teacher, do you not know? Do you not even care? We are perishing. I have found myself saying that to him, looking up and saying, God, do you not care? I've prayed for 18 months for you to push back this pandemic, for you to remove this virus. And I don't see that happening. What are you doing? Are you asleep, Jesus? No, my perspective, my perspective may be that he is asleep, but we serve a God who never rests. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And Jesus got up and what did he do? He rebuked the wind. He rebuked the sea. That's powerful. That language is very powerful in the Greek when he rebukes it. He's not just being like, hey, calm down. I mean, it is like at my voice, at my command, you will stop. And that's the kind of God we serve, no matter what fear we have, no matter what our fear is. And Jesus says to them, come on, your faith, you still not have any faith? Your fear is taking over when your faith needs to be leading. So just, you know, Change your focus, put your faith in God. And the more you put your faith in God, then you will see your fears decrease. When your faith in God increases, your fears begin to decrease. And you say, that sounds real good. I appreciate you telling me that. How do I increase my faith in God? I'm a practical person. How do you increase your faith in God? You start looking for God moments. You start asking God, God, increase my faith. And then when God provides for you, start writing it down. Keep a list, keep it in your phone. Every time that God provides for you. Oh, you woke up and you had breath in your lungs. Thank you, God, I have another day. God, I made it to church safe this morning. You provided a safe trip for me to church this morning. Begin looking and the more you write it down and keep track of how God is a God who provides for us, then your faith will increase and your fear will decrease because you will see God be faithful over and over and over and over and over and over. And so those times when you think he's asleep, you go back and go, yeah, no, I, I remember on that day he was faithful and he'll be faithful again. And so God also talks to us a lot about these, this idea of fear because he knows it's real. We face real things in our lives. But I love what he tells us in Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you 
and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's saying, oh yeah, there are a lot of things. There's the, the wind of disappointment and the wave of regret are gonna crash across the bow of your boat. But guess what? The God of the universe is in that boat with you and he has promised you, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. God will help you. You don't have to do it on your own, but some of us are so busy striving that we don't stop long enough to say, God, help me. And we need to get to a point where we're like, hey, I can't do this, God. I'm afraid and the fears are crashing over. And as soon as the disciples woke Jesus up, he said, peace, be still. Some of us need to hear him speak that over our lives today. Peace, be still because he is a God who will never leave us and never forsake us. Okay, so the last opportune time that the enemy is probably gonna use against us is our failures. We've all been there. We've all had failures in our life. We've all experienced maybe seasons of failures, maybe small failure after small failure, or maybe it's one big failure that you just can't get over. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had experienced some failures at work and for the life of me, I just couldn't get things right and I was letting things drop. And so I went in Pastor Paul's office and I said, listen, I'm, I just wanna apologize. I know I let you down and I didn't follow up in this area and this area. And he just looked at me and he said, you know the difference between me and you? You don't expect to fail and you just sit right there in it. He was like, no, we're all gonna fail. That's the reason God sent Jesus because he knows we're gonna fail. Stop expecting that you're not gonna fail. See, I get caught up in this, no, no, I have to do it right. I mean, come on, I, I, have, to, I have to get it right every time and I shouldn't fail. And I just, Pastor Paul was like, no, stop expecting that you're not gonna fail. But then when you do, admit it, apologize, and live in the grace that God has provided for us. So for a lot of us, we're just stuck in those moments of failure and we're not willing to move past those moments of failure. I love this interaction um, between Jesus and Peter right before probably the greatest failure of Peter's life. I bet Peter would probably define his denial of Christ as one of his greatest failures, but Peter didn't think he was gonna fail either. Listen to the interaction between him and Jesus out of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, you know, Ricky talked to us about that word um, during worship this morning. This is Jesus looking at Simon and saying, behold, put your eyes on me. Give, look at me. I'm going to give you a perspective, Peter, that you need to have. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. See, Peter is where I was. I am not gonna fail you. I will go with you to death, God. I will go with you to prison, Jesus. I will follow you. And Jesus didn't argue with him. Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter. He just simply stated the facts. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. See, Jesus knows your failures before they happen. He knows them. And just like with Peter, I have prayed that your faith will not fail you. Just in the same way that he prayed that Peter's faith would not fail him, we have scripture that tell us that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me that my faith will not fail. And then I love what he tells Peter. Hey, listen, and when you've been restored, go encourage your brother. 
See, we see our failures as blemishes, as marks that mean we can't keep going. We can't keep serving in the kingdom of God. We can't keep doing the things that God's called us to do because we're too much of a failure. We maybe left our first spouse or maybe we've neglected our adult children or maybe we had a business venture and we just really bombed it and we just feel like we can't overcome any of that. See, that, that's where we're wrong. That's where the enemy wants to use it as an opportune time against us. The reality is God says, oh no, it's in your weaknesses where my strength comes through, where my power is made manifest. It is in those moments of failures where God can come through and show his grace, his mercy, his power of reconciliation, his power of redemption. So instead of hiding your failures, just put them out there and say, you know what? Yeah, I did that. Because the enemy's gonna bring it up to you every single time. He reminds me every single time. It's not my husband who reminds me of all my failures. He forgives me and we move on. But for the next two weeks, I hear this little voice. Remember, you didn't do that. Remember, you lost your temper there. And I, I am practicing going, yeah, I know. And guess what? I serve a God who said, I, you're forgiven. It's forgiven. You've been washed clean. So instead of trying to hide our failures, we just need to tell God, here they are, and you take them. Give him your failure and watch what he can do and how he can redeem that. I just love how he encourages Peter to not let his faith fail, and then after he is restored, to encourage his brothers and sisters. And that's what God's asking us to do. Instead of letting our failures stop us, we need to use them to allow God to restore us through grace and mercy and forgiveness, and then out of that, have a testimony to share, look what God did for me. Look what kind of schmuck I am and how God still chose to use me. Praise God for that. Oh, that's, that is, that's a good thing. And in the same way that we have all this virus protection on our computers, in the same way that we you know, pay for all of this protection on our computers, we need to do the same thing in our relationship with God and with our relationship with those around us. And the way we do that is through our shield of faith. You know, when you go to a website, it has a little shield telling you it's encrypted or protected. We need to pick up our shield of faith because that is what protects us from those opportune times and those areas where the enemy is going to try and attack us. And so we need to be on guard at all times because those F words will come back and get you. Maybe you're not there today, but you will be at some point fatigued, famished, frantic, or experiencing a failure. And we need to be on guard. I love what Jesus is telling them right before he leaves this earth. He's warning them that they need to be on guard. Listen to what he says in Luke 21. But be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. I wanna stop there for just a second because a lot of times, you know, um, earlier we talked about being sober-minded and scripture says don't get drunk and be sober-minded. Listen, it's a whole lot more than just don't drink alcohol, okay, and get drunk on it. It's a whole lot more than that. This dissipation and drunkenness means don't have a hangover, don't have a dizziness, don't have a fuzziness about your perspective. Don't be so intoxicated with the worries of life that will weigh you down, that you can't see clearly. Some of us are so drunk on feeding on news media outlets and everything that's going on in the world that we are literally hung over and we cannot see clearly. And Jesus is warning them, be on 
on your guard against that. Stop getting drunk on the worries of this world and letting them weigh you down, but have clarity of mind. And the only way we can see clearly is when God gives us his perspective. You and I are fallen people who live in a world that really looks bad. And so we need the perspective of God. And that's what he's telling them here. He's saying, be on guard. Be on guard against the worries of life. And that this day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of all the earth. But stay alert at all times, praying that you will have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. See, Jesus is telling them, you need to be alert and you need to be praying because guess what? Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. He is going to return for his bride and there will be victory on that day. But in the meantime, what is our job? What is our role? Be on guard, watch out for those opportune times and pray for the strength that only God can provide for us. There is no binging on Netflix, there is no internet shopping, there is no achievement that you can get that is going to take the place of the victory that God can bring in your life when you are pressing in and you are praying and you are keeping your eyes on him because he is going to do it for us. He is going to move on our behalf. But Jesus is coming back. See, I think some of us have forgotten that Jesus Jesus is gonna return for his church. I think we are just so overwhelmed with the chaos of life. So if you don't hear anything else, he's coming back. He hasn't forgotten us. And when he returns, we will finally see clearly the victory that has already occurred. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. We're about to move into this time of expressions today. And for a lot of us, sometimes this is the time where we kind of tune out and we start checking our text messages that we've gotten or we start thinking about what food we're gonna go eat or what our next plans are. Please just stop for a moment and stay in this moment because God is speaking to us and he wants us to respond. He is inviting us to respond to him. So during this time um, when we are singing the song and you can receive communion or you can receive prayer with the pastors and elders in the back, maybe this is a time where you ask God to reveal to you the area that is the most opportune time for you to be attacked. Ask God, show me God, Show me areas of my life, not necessarily that are sin, but areas of my life that the enemy wants to exploit. Or maybe you need to ask God to give you the courage to change your desire so that you stop desiring popcorn and you start desiring real spiritual truth. That you stop desiring an ideology that lines up with what you already think and that you begin desiring the truth of God's word because that's the truth that will set you free and only that truth will set you free. Or maybe you need to admit to God today that you quit. Today is a good day to quit being the boss. He doesn't need you to be the boss. God is still in control. That is my motto this year. God is still in control. It's five words, I say it to myself all the time. And if you feel fatigued, if you feel famished or frantic today, I want you to put your hand up in praise and say, God is still in control. Because no matter how chaotic the world looks, he is in control. And so quit trying to take control of your life and surrender it to him. Rest in the goodness of God today. Wherever you are today, he is asking you, give him your fatigued heart. 
your famished soul, your frantic mind, and your greatest failure. And watch what our God will do. Father, we love you so much and we praise your name and we thank you. We thank you that you are still in control. Even though we have thought maybe you were asleep, but we know God, you never sleep and you never slumber. And the time has come for us to open our eyes and to see those areas where we are being exploited by the enemy, God. And we today come in agreement with your word that you will uphold us with your righteous right hand. We didn't make that up. It's not an idea that I like. It is the truth of your word. And so that is what I hold on to today, Father. Today, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.